listen, let's uh, let's go to prayer together as a church family, and let's lift up uh, our church family and lift in the rest of our time together this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, we're just grateful that we can meet together. That we um, the songs that we've been singing, singing truth, um, Lord, we are just um, are amazed at your grace, the amazing grace song, and um, getting what we don't deserve. Be, through what Jesus has done on the cross and us believing in him. We, we don't deserve that. That is amazing, uh, to say the least. And so, Lord, we're grateful for the work of Jesus, and we're grateful that, um, that Jesus didn't leave us here um, to kind of live our lives out uh, on our own, but he's given us uh, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so um, anyone who's put their faith in him, we, we have uh, the comforter, the helper that we need to live out the life that Jesus calls us to. And so, Lord, we, we come before you this morning just acknowledging that, Lord, we haven't lived it out perfectly this week, and just like other weeks, and we want to, um, if repentance is needed, we, we should do that. Um, but we turn to you and we, we ask and say, Lord, help us to, to grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to grow in our salvation. In, in, in knowing more about it and in, and in, in bringing our lives more in alignment with what you want us to be doing, what's in our hearts as well as what we do with our lives, Lord, and how we behave, God. We want those both to be in alignment. So, Father, we just ask you this morning, bring your healing touch into the people, people's lives that need it today, friends and family members folks here at the church, God, who need your healing touch, who need your power, Lord, would you just uh, reach out to them, Lord? May they experience your healing touch. May they experience your nearness, too, and know that you're with them. Lord, I've just been reminded recently just of your promise to your people. To anyone who knows Christ as Savior, he said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, God. Thank you for uh, you're our constant companion. And so, Lord, we just uh, lift up the rest of our time here this morning. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're before we get into the message this morning, I did want to mention one other thing. We sent out an email this week with an attachment. It's a PDF file that has a, a 2024 calendar of events. All right, so if, if you're on our announcement email list and you didn't get that, check your spam folder. A lot of times it ends up in spam. Um, if you didn't get it or don't aren't on the announcement list, we have hard copies available. Some of them are underneath the bulletin board back there. Some of them are in the fellowship hall. Um, please grab a copy of that if you don't have if you weren't emailed that, and just start putting some of those dates on your calendars. Um, you know, we we mentioned the baptism and so on. The prayer meetings are on there. We've got a marriage workshop coming up February 9th and 10th. Next week, we, or that, actually this week, we'll be sending out information, specifics on that marriage workshop. Um, so uh, keep your eyes open for these things. Um, as I'm looking also in just in February, thinking things that are coming up within a month's time. We, are gonna, we have an annual church meeting where we talk about, kind of reflect on the year in the past and look forward to the year ahead. Um, and so that's coming up uh, after Sunday service on the 18th of February. So we'll have a potluck lunch where um, 
uh, you'll be able to sign up to bring something for that. And then uh, after that, we'll have a 45-minute kind of church meeting where we talk about the past uh, year and and looking forward. So uh, we're looking forward to that. So I'm just kind of highlighting just a couple of those things that are coming up pretty quickly. All right, so um, here we are um, in this passage in Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 37 to 54. And Jesus has some pretty strong words for the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. Um, and you could lump those together and say those are the religious leaders of the time. And, and basically calling out their hypocrisy. And that's what we're going to see here. Now, it's going to be really easy to kind of like take this third person, like, oh, you know, those darn Pharisees, you know. But there will be plenty of opportunity probably to look into the mirror today, okay? So let's not just kind of point the finger. Let's just make sure, ask the Lord to, uh, to help us make sure our hearts are right as well. And, and um, as we end the message today as well, I'm going to have some things to some real takeaways for us to kind of make sure that our hearts are, um, are right before God. So um, uh, if you would, if you're able to stand, would you stand for the reading of God's Word here this morning as I, I'll read for us here in Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54. So while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seed in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. 
So, you know, anytime Jesus says, whoa, it's bad. Okay? Woe to you, woe to you. You know, it's, it's a judgment, right? He's pronouncing a judgment on these religious leaders. And the lawyers you can just think of as the scribes there, and the others, the Pharisees. But uh, what I'd like to do is just kind of look at uh, the ways in which Jesus is indicting these religious leaders. So we'll kind of look at some of these indictments that he makes against these folks. So um, let's take a look at the first one, is that they pay attention to their behavior, but not the condition of their heart. They pay attention to their behavior, but not the condition of their heart. And so in verses uh, 37 to 41 is where he talks about this. And of course, he got invited over to dinner, right? And so one of the traditions or uh, that they would have done would be to you know do a washing, right? Um, could have been ceremonial type of washing to cleanse yourself from being out in the world. But nonetheless, Jesus didn't do it. And so they took issue with that. And uh, Jesus used that as a teachable moment for them. And so he said, you know, you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside's dirty, right? So think about that. Um, doing, you're doing the hand dishes at home, and you have a bowl that's been sitting in your sink. I'm sure it wouldn't happen to you. Been sitting in your sink for a while, and it's got oatmeal caked on the inside. Little stuff on the outside, but you wash it on the outside and just don't wash the inside. You just put it back in the cabinet, right? I mean, now you would never do that intentionally, right? So like that bowl's just not, it's not clean. You can't say it's clean just because the outside is clean, right? And he's just, he's just pointing out to them, listen, you guys, you Pharisees, you're so concerned about how others are seeing you and that you're concerned about your behavior and your conduct. And he's telling them that they should also be concerned about the inside, what's going on in their hearts, right? That's just as important. And and so he says, you fools did not, this is verse 40, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? In other words, you can't really separate the two. You shouldn't be separating the inside and the outside, the behavior in the heart. You really can't do that. In fact, we do know from Scripture that right um, out of the heart right, really comes our behavior. The things that we do are driven by things that are inside. Right? Our words, for example, that was mentioned, where we talk about the, our words, right? Uh, our, the words that come out of our mouth are really indicative of what's inside. You can't divorce the two. And so Jesus is challenging them on this, that um, we need to, and these folks, their issue was they, they just cared so much about how they were being viewed, right? They wanted to be seen as holy, and so they were trying to keep all the different laws perfectly, and, and so they focused on that. But then, what does Jesus say? He says in verse 41, he says, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything 
is clean for you. So what is he getting at? Of course, alms, or you think about alms as what you would give to the poor, might be financial help, some other type of material help to try to alleviate their burden, right? Try to lift them up. And so that's what giving of alms would be. And so he's basically getting at, you know, how about working on some of that compassion? How about working on love in your heart, right? And rather than just these outward, whether it be ceremonial washings that you're so concerned about, right? And so and so he's challenging them on that. And, you know, I would say that, I mean, you don't have to be a Pharisee to kind of struggle with this. Um, we can get so caught up in um, following certain rules, okay? I you know we are given commands in the Scripture, for sure. We're not to turn a blind eye to commands in Scripture, but I actually was faced with uh, making rules this week. Um, so I, I'm not going to give, like, the details. This is too geeky-techy. But so I'm setting up uh, a way for my students and I to have conversations online that are private within our class. And, um, and so I decided that it's a good idea to have some rules, right? Some guidelines on how they should behave when they're in there, okay? So I had to find, I had to make some rules. So I, I decided, okay, well, the first thing I do is like, well, I don't like to reinvent the wheel, so I go searching, right? Teachers that use, uh, so the service is called Discord, uh, teachers that use Discord and, and, you know, rules. I found lots and lots of rules. Um, and so I tried to kind of, because, you know, you didn't want it to be like so overwhelming, you know, 55 rules when you're on Mr. Burlisle's Discord server, you know? And I I got it down to six, six rules, okay? You know what the last rule was? Mr. Berlisle decides what is permissible on the Discord server, you know? (laughs) That was the last one, you know? You got to have, like, the catch-all, you know? And if I didn't cover it in the first five, I decide, right? But so you just got, but we can, you know, and rules are helpful, aren't they? Having some guidelines, right? And so... but the thing is, is that behind those rules that I laid down there, are it's the heart of it, right? Um, and, and so God is concerned about our hearts, right? He's not just concerned about the doing of things or the not doing of things, but the heart that's behind that. Um, we'll talk more about that, but but just realize that this was an issue for the religious leaders. They were were definitely caught up in... And really, really themselves. I mean, you really could say it's themselves because when you look at the next uh, few verses here, uh, we get to. Um, can you advance my slide for me, Tim? I'm not clicking. So, uh, yeah, number two. Oh, I'm up. Okay, never mind. We're not dealing with this anymore. Okay, sorry. I'm looking back here. Okay, yeah, so. Look at these examples and illustrations in verse 42 to 44. Now, let me just remind you what he said. So here here comes another woe. Woe to you Pharisees, verse 42, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb. So 
you know, you're giving it, they're giving a tenth of what they produced, like in their gardens, their herb gardens or whatever, right? Um, there's biblical principles for giving a tenth of what you produce, right? Um, and so on. And so they did that, but, but really, so they were so meticulous about giving a tenth of these herbs uh, to the Lord that they neglected, you know, some pretty important things like justice and love of God, <laughs> okay? You know, you've got your herb garden or you've got love of God. I mean, you know, it, it shouldn't be, you should, now, you know, what's interesting though is Jesus actually said you should be doing both, right? So he wasn't totally dissing that. He's just like, well, you kind of you kind of got the minor points down here, but you're kind of missing some major things, right? Some major things that are important to me. And so he he is saying here, as we look at some of these illustrations of the fact that they're they were not concerned about matters of the heart, like loving God and and really loving your neighbor, right? Wanting justice to be done for people, right? And so. So he mentions this, and then he says in verse uh, 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace, right? So they wanted to be recognized, right? Oh, I got the best box seats in the synagogue, you know? Or I have, you know, the people greet me. They recognize me when they see me out and about, right? So they were just, again, they were becoming so self um, selfish and self focused. Um, God said, "This is right." And so uh, they they loved themselves. Uh, they weren't uh, focusing on their love a love for God and a love for justice. And so and then um, verse forty four is interesting, where it says, "Woe to you." For you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Now, this is weird, isn't it? So, in Judaism, right, touching a grave made a person unclean. Okay, that made made them unclean. So, Jesus says that to this Pharisee that following him is like walking across an unmarked grave. And, And so... Men walk right into the unclean grave of hypocrisy without even knowing it. So it's kind of like you're walking over an unmarked grave, so you become unclean and don't even really know it because you don't know there's a grave there, right? And so he's saying, people that are following you, you Pharisees, they're they're just as you know they're you're getting they're lost because they don't even realize it in following your example. Now. So they, they think they're leaders worthy of others following them, but they're actually leading them to death. That's what's happening. That's the, and that's really the danger that they're in. I don't know if you remember the last message uh, that we, where we talked about this, um, that uh, we were talking about people responding to Jesus and how Jesus demands a response to his call of repentance and so on, right? And so... Um, so t- tying this into that, Jesus is not excluding the Pharisees from those who need to repent. He's trying to show them, you guys need to repent too. You're not above this. 
right? You're just as much in the thick of needing saved as everyone else is. So by making these condemnations of the Pharisees, um, or saying Jesus, he's saying is, is that they need that. It's not, the point is not the practices and just trying to gut out the law and do this and do that and don't do this and do that. They're missing key important points, and so they're leading others astray. And they're supposed to be the leaders, supposed to be pointing people to God, right? They're supposed to be the examples, but they're really the non-examples. Now, what's interesting then as we as we move on to the next couple of verses here, in 45 and 46, we see again they lack compassion towards God's people. In those verses, it says, one of the lawyers answered him. Now, this is the scribes. So someone, another group of leaders standing there, must have been at this dinner that was being had. And um, as Jesus lays down these indictments, he's getting a little hot under the collar, feeling like, you know, I think he's really talking to us too, although he's just said Pharisees so far. So now it says, and one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. You're hurting our feelings too. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also. You load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Now, um, you know know that the religious leaders, right, they to try to help explain the law to people, right? They came up with hundreds of other rules to try to, you know, because there would be like, well, what about this situation? Then they they make up a rule. Rather than just trying to, you know, use wisdom and God's guidance to try to figure out how you'd live that out, live out the command God did give, not the one that they added to it, right? So there are hundreds, literally hundreds of Religious rules. And so you imagine those piling up and then trying to think about, well, when I'm doing this, you know, on the Sabbath or whatever, am I, am I breaking the Sabbath and, and so on? And so Jesus is saying, listen, you guys are supposed to be helping God's people, but instead you're laying them down with burdens, and you're not not even willing to help them. Now, what does he mean by that? Now, it could mean a couple different things, like where it says, um, you yourselves uh, do not touch the burdens uh, with one of your fingers. So it could mean that, well, okay, you're laying down all these rules, but you're not even willing to help people figure out how to do that, how to live those. Or it could mean, here's the other alternative way to think about that, phrasing is it could just mean, well, you're laying down these extra rules and you yourself are somehow exempting yourself from those. You're not even willing to do what you're teaching the people to do. So, and that truly would be, you know, hypocritical, right? And so, uh, whichever way you take that, it's, it's not good, right? They're, they're poor, poor examples of God's leaders, supposed to being God's leaders and teachers. So they just lack compassion for God's people. But if there's one thing that that God's leaders ought to be, it's compassionate 
towards God's people and wanting to help them live a God-honoring life. Not by making up additional rules, but by trying to help them live what God has said. So they lack compassion for God's people. And then fourthly here, this, they, reject, they reject God's true messengers and lead others astray. We've already kind of saw the lead others astray, but he mentions it with these lawyers as well, with the scribes. Uh, let me remind you what he says here, verse 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. I mean, don't we see in the Old Testament, right, when God's people were in rebellion, they didn't listen to the prophets and then killed some of them. That's one way to settle it. You know, God sends a prophet. You don't like the message, you kill him. It's not right, but that's what some did. And uh, so they did not receive the word of God through his prophet in many instances. So Jesus is saying, you guys are no better. Well, why is he saying that? And he goes on, he says, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Now, I think what he's getting at in this section here is he's basically saying, listen, well, who do we know that they're not receiving? Who do we know is the latest person bringing the word of God on the scene? Jesus. They're not receiving him. They're trying to trap him. They're looking for any way to shut this guy down. And we know, ultimately, they will kill him. They will deliver him up. They're just like their forefathers. They're not wanting to receive the word of the Lord. And it's, it's a travesty. And Jesus is telling them that that generation will be held account. He says, therefore also the wisdom of God said, uh, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, and so on. So he, Jesus, so I don't, I don't know, it, it, there's a lot of debate on what he means by the wisdom of God there the, in the ESV, the W is capitalized, so it makes you think that maybe it's a quotation or something, but there's a lot of debate, and I don't think it really matters what we settle in on. It could be Jesus actually himself the wisdom of God making his own pronouncement and saying, you know, thus saith the Lord, this is what's going to happen. I don't know. But what is clear, though, is that they're, they're simply doing what their forefathers had done. They just hadn't killed Jesus yet. All right? So they reject God's true messengers. And then in verse 52, it says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away Listen to this. You have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. This is really scary because, like, you know, as the religious leaders, they're supposed to be pointing people to the way of salvation, right? And he's like, you guys have missed it. That's why he says you've taken away the key of knowledge, knowledge of salvation, true knowledge of God. And you hindered those who are entering. And that, that's a scary place to be. Not only you yourself have missed the mark in terms of salvation, but you are taking others with you. 
They're trying to convince people that Jesus is, is not God's man. They're doing everything they can to discredit him. And so they were not receiving God's messenger, but they were rejecting him and they were leading others astray. And so these are very serious, serious indictments that Jesus is making. Now, very last thing I want to mention here before giving us some, some even more, more practical applications in our own lives here, but just that um, in the last two verses here, in verses 53 and 54, we see that um, they're not seeking the truth about Jesus. They're not seeking the truth at all. How do we know that? Well, when you look at those last couple of verses, let me find it. There we go. Uh, it says, as, in verse 53, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things. Right? They're trying to continually catch him in a trap, some sort of spiritual question that they're, they're looking for that, aha, we've got him. Right? Verse 54, it says, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And so this is... This is what Jesus was up against, right? And so he's going through all of these indictments. He's, you know, we, we, we've been looking at this chapter 11. As we've been going along, Jesus is saying, you know, again, he draws that line in the sand. Do you remember that? If you're either for me you're, or you're against me, he said. Jesus demands a response. He's telling these religious leaders who probably thought that, well, he could say whatever they want to them. Yeah, there's a bunch of screw-ups, those people. But we, we're doing it right. And he's like, no, you're not. You're just as lost or worse than them because you're leading them astray. So now, I wanted to share with you guys, um, because when, you, when, you think, when I think about this, um, I just think about God. You know, how can I make sure my I, I, I'm really cultivating a, a good heart? Because when it comes to you know, how, how do we make sure that we're not um, that we're really uh, working on the inside, not just on the externals? Like you know, I go to church, or maybe I'm in a Bible study and I have my daily devotions, and you know, all those good things, uh, good means of God's grace and the way He grows us up by being exposed to those things for sure. Uh, fellowship, God's word, so on. But, but how can we make sure that we're not neglecting, like having a right heart, and not just kind of having externals? That makes sense. How can we make sure we're doing that, or at least working on that? And so I, I ran across um, something here I, I wanted to share with you, and I, I can't not I cannot claim credit for this. So I, I give credit to uh, Desiring God Ministries. Um, and uh, I just wanted to share, first of all, you know, so Jesus is definitely making, I hope you got this part, he's making a big deal about what's on the inside. Very important, right? And, um, and, and by the way, I, I know that uh, some of you have been uh, tuning in to the um, Shepherding Your Child's Heart, some of those videos that uh, the Higgins have been hosting uh, on Zoom. And I know that that um, study slash curriculum, I don't know what you call it, video series, focuses in on the heart, 
right? You're not going to try to just focus in on, you know, making your kids behave right, okay? But to make sure that you're working on their heart, right? So this, the heart is such a big, big thing. So let me read for you. Um, this was a response that Desiring God Ministries had to the question, how can I soften my own heart? How can I soften my own heart? Okay, so you can go to desiringgod.org and you can search for that article. But there's some highlights I want to mention to you. Now, the very most important thing is that um, uh, you have to have a new heart. Okay, now maybe you've not heard that before. Um, but, but here it says... Um, it says, here's the promise God made for all of us who experienced the power of the new covenant promise that was purchased by the blood of Jesus according to Luke 22.20. Here's what the, he promises in Ezekiel 11.19-20. Here's what Ezekiel 11.19-20 says. I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them, uh, I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, and they may that they may walk, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. Which came first? The new heart, right? Like you can't walk in my ways if you don't get a heart transplant, right? You need a new heart, spiritually speaking. You get a new heart by putting your faith lock, stock, and barrel in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. What Frank was talking about here today. What Christ has done for us. Dying in our place, right? In Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the old heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes to be careful to obey my rules. Very similar to the Ezekiel 11, right? So, so the thing is, is that if you want to have the heart that God want, wants us all to have, a soft heart towards him, a heart that loves justice, that loves God, okay, we have to be right with God. We have to have a heart transplant, right? And that comes only by putting your faith in Christ, right? Admitting you need a Savior and turning to him, right? So, uh, once that happens, then there are some je- some suggestions that that uh, Desiring God gives here scripturally, and I'll give you some scripture references on this. Again, this is all us trying to think about. Well, there's so much here that when you boil it down, it's about the heart of the Pharisees and scribes was not right. How can I make sure I guard my heart? How can I make sure that I keep it soft, right, toward God and towards others, really? And so. Um, it really comes down to three things here. After, after you've given, got, been given the new heart transplant we mentioned, uh, beholding and seeing, that's one, beholding or seeing, hearing and trusting. So really, I guess you could say seeing, hearing, and trusting. Okay? Now, this is an, an interesting verse, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18, where it says, beholding the glory of the Lord... We are being transformed into the same image of God from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
So do you hear the language of transformation there? Right? So if we want our hearts to be transformed, we, so first you have to have the new heart, right? But then what happens, it says, when we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed more into his image. Right? So, so we, our prayer really should be, Lord, show me your glory. Let me know, let me experience you in, in a way, help me to see um, with spiritual eyes all that you have done, all that Christ is. Let me, let me fall more and more in love with Jesus. Let me see that. And so this is part of that beholding the glory of the Lord. Was not Moses transformed when he met with the Lord? You remember that? The glory that he was in the presence of God, and that glory, now it was fading, right, when he walked away, it faded, but he was changed by that. And in a sense, I think the Lord wants to, because here it says beholding, that's where we come up with the word seeing, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image of God from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So somehow we need to ask God to help us to see Him more and more glorious and for who He is. So it's not only a knowledge thing, but I think it's an experiential thing. Okay? Didn't we hear, don't we hear often um, uh, Moses and others uh, saying, Lord, show me your glory? Let me see you for more and more of who you are. I think that's the sense of it there in 2 Corinthians. Now, what's the, what's the hearing? Right? Um, you're familiar probably with Romans 10, 17, which says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith is the tender, dependent opposite of rebellion and resistance, right? So if I want to have a soft heart towards God, that's like a heart that wants to obey, not resist, right? A soft heart. So faith is the, if we're people, people of faith and we're living by faith, right, then we're going to have, a, a, tend to have a soft heart if we're living by faith, right? And so that's what said, faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So faith is the tender, dependent opposite of rebellion and resistance and self-reliance, and faith comes from hearing. We are looking to Jesus with our ears. We look with our ears. The eyes of the heart look through the ears of the mind. As the word of God is read or preached or presented to us in some way, thus being drawn by this sight to be conformed to Him. So as we get in His Word, as or you know individually, or as we hear the Word of God preached, there's an opportunity there for us to respond in faith. And the heart that responds in faith is the heart—that's heart that's soft to God. Right? So we need to we need to hear. And not just see. And then, of course, we have, to, we have to really trust what we hear, right? And that's part of the responding of faith. Galatians 2.20 says, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So what comes alive when the old heart is crucified and dead and taken out and circumcised away and cut off? What comes alive is the new, tender heart of faith. I live by faith. Right, so I think that 
just just in closing here, we, we, we just take those few little nuggets that we ended with and say, Lord, you know, I want, I, I hope that as a, if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to have a tender heart towards him. You, you want to make sure that the weightier things of God are the weightier things on your heart, not the minor minutia things, right? Not just focusing in on external obedience and doing things and not doing things. Those are important too, but he's saying, what about the matters of the heart? And I don't know about you guys, but the heart matters are much more difficult. <laughs> the heart matters are messy. <laughs> and for me, I'll just be honest, for me, it takes me a while to get the heart of the matter and what's going on in my heart. Does that even make sense? Okay? You know, and so, you know, we, I, this takes some sitting with God. Okay? This, we don't like to be quiet. I don't like to be quiet. I'm a, especially I'm a people person, you know. But, but we, you know, in that quietness with God, He sometimes speaks to our hearts. And we can maybe even work out things to get to the heart of what's going on in us so that our hearts are even more sensitive and soft. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, there's so many good things you could do with your life and your time. So, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, um, those those are hard things. I know that's, I mean, that's, they're daily things we're, we're faced with, right? Why do I give my time to, right? And so I think we need to um, ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Give us sensitive hearts so that when he says go, we go. When he says move, move, you know, on, on something in our life. When he says, no, this is a problem in your heart and we need to do some surgery, right? But the heart is something that God is so interested in in us, right? not just obeying. Right? All right, let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> you know our hearts inside and out. You made us. Um, and Lord, thank you that when we come to faith in Christ, you you're, you, there's, a, there's a sense in which you have redeemed us, but there's also a sense in which you are redeeming. It's, a, it's an ongoing process. And our hearts are being redeemed. It's a, they're in process. So, Lord, as easy as it would be to sit off on the sidelines and point fingers at these religious leaders we're reading about, God, we cry out to you this morning. We want to have soft hearts before you. We want to have hearts that are responsive to the things that are on your heart. Lord, grow our love for you. Grow our love for justice. Um, Grow our love to want to represent you before people well. To be your ambassadors. Even think about these blessing bags. This is, it's a simple way to, uh, to meet a simple need. And I know it doesn't solve all the things of homelessness, but it, it, could, 
it can make a difference in someone's day. And Lord, we just we just pray, God, um, speak to our hearts, Lord, if there's something that you've, some sort of heart adjustment that needs to be made in our lives. And, and um, Lord, we trust you with our hearts for sure. We ask it in Jesus' name.